You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be opened to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance among the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power for those who believe. Amen. I am not a person who enjoys rock concerts. For some reason, they just have never appealed to me. But when I was in high school, my brother insisted that I go to one. And so it happened to be a free one, and some of our mutual friends were going. So I decided to go. It happened to also be raining that day, but we went anyways, because according to James, that just made it even more reason to go. What I did not realize about these concerts, though, was the phenomenon of the mosh pit. Have you ever heard of a mosh pit? Well, I did not fully realize what it was until I found myself standing in the middle of one and in the rain on a hot summer day. There were people packed in tightly around me, banging their heads and chaotically moving as loud music was being played on the stage. I had no idea what the lyrics were or what was going on. It was just pure chaos. And this was the point of the whole experience. It didn't really matter what the musicians were singing or what any of it meant. The people surrounding me were there just to experience the music and to lose themselves in it. Well, today, our Corinthian passage is telling us that this is exactly what church should not be like. Paul is telling the Corinthian community, when you gather together for worship, you have to have order. You have to pay attention to the manner in which you worship. It seems that the gathering at the Corinthian church had begun to resemble more of a rock concert than a worship service. Maybe it wasn't quite as chaotic as a rock concert, but imagine a room full of people who were interrupting each other or babbling or just simply going on and on. Maybe this sounds like Thanksgiving at your house. But Paul tells the Corinthian church that this is not the way that Christians should come together. For instance, in verse 27, Paul speaks to those with the gift of tongues. I think sometimes today when we think about tongues, we think about some sort of an ecstatic gift, one in which a person receives a word from the Lord and they simply have to say that word right then and there. But Paul says no to this. Only two or three are to speak in tongues, and they are to go in turns. Paul also speaks about prophecy. There are only to be two or three prophets, according to verse 29, and they are to take turns, speaking one at a time. Imagine right now if there were two or three preachers speaking simultaneously in this room. Maybe we would all have a word from the Lord. Maybe we would all be inspired in speaking the right things. But you cannot understand them, right? There needs to be organization in worship so that all things can be done to build up the gathering of believers. And this is the idea about the church that Paul comes back to again and again as we've heard over the last few weeks. Whatever happens at gatherings of Christians in worship, it needs to build the body up in the Lord Jesus Christ, not distract it from him. But perhaps this passage seems irrelevant, or like it describes a church that is far away from us. What does a church that met 2,000 years ago in a chaotic manner have to do with us here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama? How is Paul speaking to us here today? Well, to get at these questions, let me first direct your attention, as, as Matt just did actually, to all the ways that the Corinthian church's meetings actually look like our Sunday evenings. Look at verse 26. Paul tells the Corinthians, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. This verse right here is actually quite important because it is one of the very few snapshots we have of how the early church worshipped. 
And it is actually quite remarkable how similar that description sounds to our gathering here today. How do we open the service? With a hymn, right? Or what did we just hear a few moments ago? A series of lessons from the Word of God. Right now in my sermon, after much prayer and thinking about this passage, I am trying to reveal to you the Word of God as he wants his people to understand it. Maybe the only item on this list that is not a part of our worship is the mention of tongues and interpretation. But are there not silent moments in this service when we, each of us can speak to the Father in words that only he can know? We meet together as Christians actually in much the same way that the Corinthians met together as Christians. The real problem with the Corinthian gathering, though, is how individual personalities must have crept in and distracted or obscured the purpose of the meeting in the first place. Reading about the Corinthian church uh, in this passage actually reminds me of chapter meetings in my college fraternity. There were only 20 of us, but the meetings could go on for hours and hours because there were no real clear rules or order, and each man simply had to say whatever was on his mind because clearly his, his ideas were the most important. Maybe you are familiar with inefficient meetings that drag on because every person has to weigh in on every single detail. And what is the outcome of these sorts of meetings? Everyone just leaves frustrated. Does anyone walk away from a meeting at the neighborhood association that has lasted an hour too long thinking, yes, I have been edified, I am more in love and charity with my neighbors? When any group of individuals gather, be they Christian or not, there is an opportunity for the individual ego to distract the group from its purpose of meeting. And this seems to be exactly the the difficulty in the Corinthian church. There were too many people with the gift of tongues or prophecy or revelation who were trying to speak at once. And this abundance of enthusiasm for the Lord really just created a chaotic assembly. Well, this part of the passage might make sense to us, while, you know, we certainly enjoy listening to only one person at a time. Verses 34 to 36 might cause us to dismiss this entire passage. These verses, of course, sound quite alarming to our modern ears. Paul tells women that they are to keep silent, to submit, to ask questions at home, not in the public assembly of Christians. This sounds not only outdated, but downright discriminatory of Paul to say these things. So jarring do these verses sound to us that one time I was in a gathering of Christians and this reading was read as part of the daily office and the response of the congregation was to laugh at it. Paul's admonition here sounded so harsh, so oppressive, so incorrect, that instead of listening and examining God's word, this group of Christians laughed at it. This indeed is a difficult passage, and there is no mistaking that it is hard for us today to understand or even accept it. But as Andrew Pearson likes to say, the problem is not in Scripture, but in us trying to understand Scripture. Scripture is clear but we sometimes do not have the ears to hear or the hearts to understand. The problem for us today is that we often bring our own agenda to the biblical text, and we bring the issues that we deal with today to passages that might not have any bearing on them. We have to always be careful not to manipulate the biblical text, to change it, or indeed even to laugh at it. A great phrase that I have run into recently in my studies at Beeson Seminary has been that we as believers labor under the word, not over it. We have been given the Bible by God as a means of communicating himself to his people, and all we can do is receive it and pray that he gives us understanding. With all that being said, though, I want to be clear that Paul is not a sexist. He is not a misogynist. He does not hate women. 
we not only find him writing to female believers in other places, encouraging them as Christians, but also indeed even encouraging female leaders in the Christian community. In the letter to the Romans, for instance, he ends by commending Phoebe, whom he calls a servant of the church, and Priscilla, whom he calls my fellow worker in Christ Jesus. For Paul, Christianity is in no way a males-only club. As he writes to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is clear throughout his writings that one's gender in no way changes God's love for his children or his call on their lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. However, Paul here does in 1 Corinthians seem to have a pretty stern instruction for women. But before we laugh at this set of verses as hopelessly irrelevant or outdated, let us first understand how they actually fit into this passage. Paul has just been speaking to two groups of people who have interrupted the assembly with their gifts, those who spoke in tongues and those who prophesy. Apparently, both those who would speak in tongues and those who prophesied were so enthusiastic about their gifts that they were derailing the Christian assembly. Now, to this list of two groups, Paul adds a third, disruptive women. I think it is highly likely here that Paul is speaking to a particular group of women. In other words, Paul is not calling all women disruptive here, nor is he discouraging female ministry universally. I believe he is speaking to a particularly distracting group of women, which was causing problems at the Corinthian gatherings. Read from this angle, then, this passage actually applies to both men and women. Those who interrupt the worship of God with selfish goals or aims need to check their behavior. But we need to dig deeper still onto this passage. One commentator helpfully suggested the reason why these women were seen as disruptive today was because they were uneducated. It seems as though because these women did not understand what was prophesied or spoken in the sermon, they were interrupting the service with constant questions. It would be like if I was sitting in a boardroom of a business and tried to suggest to a CEO of a big company how to invest his money. I would have no reason to do so because I don't know anything about investment. And this is because women of the ancient world were by and large not educated. Men received educational training, not women. But notice what Paul does here in this passage. He tells them in verse 35, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Paul here is actually suggesting a pathway for female education. Far from dismissing female education for women or trying to keep them ignorant, he actually here encourages them to learn, just not by asking questions in the assembly of brothers and sisters. Obviously, the situation of both men and women is quite different today for us than 2,000 years ago. But I think this passage still has something urgent to tell us, particularly for modern men. Are we taking spiritual leadership seriously in our homes? Do we care about our family's Christian education? Do we desire for everyone at our houses, be they wives or children or anyone else, to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I think, unfortunately, a lot of men these days have lost the nerve to lead their household spiritually, or perhaps they do not care how, that they raise a Christian family. Paul's words here should actually convict us as male believers in the Lord Jesus to help our families come to that same faith. But in addition to male family leadership, I think this passage actually helps us as Christians to think about feminism and its role in our church. While the church today has rightly stood for female equality in all areas of life, 
we need to be clear what the gospel is and why we come together on Sundays as Christians. We do not come together to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. He is the object of our worship, not ourselves. And the message that he wants us all to hear so clearly when we come together is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins and to redeem us to eternal life. This and this alone is the message of the church. Unfortunately, today in many churches, especially in mainline Protestant denominations, a person attending a Sunday service would walk away thinking that equality or female empowerment or some other social goal is the gospel. These are all well and good in and of themselves, but they are actually consequences of the gospel, not the gospel itself. What Paul is trying to do in this passage that may seem so distant or obscure to us is actually quite important for us to realize and to apply in our church today. In every age, there are people who bring into the church agendas or philosophies, gifts or practices that can distract the people of God from him. For the Corinthians, those speaking in tongues, those who prophesied, and those overly vocal women distracted the church from its purpose, its true purpose, the worship of God and the proclamation of the gospel. Orderly worship is just as important for us today as it was for the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, because without it, our gatherings turn into political meetings, concerts, or even worse, spectacles. No matter who stands in the pulpit, or who leads music in our services, or even who hands out bulletins, the message of the church is about who Jesus is, not who we are. It is not important that we are Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. It only matters who he is. Without intentionally designing our time together to glorify God, we will simply end up glorifying humanity. And this is the danger that the church can so easily slip into. So what can you do about this? Is this only really a matter for the clergy or people who plan worship to worry about? Of course not. The first thing I suggest you do, though, is to pray for the people who lead worship here at Advent every Sunday. There is so much, as I've learned this summer, that goes on behind the scenes to make each of our gatherings here on Sunday possible. Pray for everyone before you come involved in the services here at Advent. Everyone from the preacher to the musicians to the ushers to the acolytes to the sound technicians and everyone else in between. We need your prayers because we are your Christian brothers and sisters and we come here for the same reason that you do, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that everyone involved in leading orderly worship is clear about why we do this in the first place and to keep our own egos out of the way. But secondly, I want to bring our attention back to the beginning of our passage for today. Paul tells the Corinthians, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, each one has a lesson, each one has a revelation or a tongue. In other words, what Paul is envisioning here is not an assembly of a few show-offs or talented people, but a group of Christians in which everyone is involved in the worship of the Lord. Worship is not about a few people performing for an audience or a political rally in which one person speaks and the others listen. Actually, what Paul is here recommending is that everyone be involved in some way. Whoever you are, you have some contribution to make to this body of believers. That is why our worship is designed to give everyone speaking parts. We all have a role in both speaking and singing the praises of God. But finally... I would encourage you to be aware of why you come to church each Sunday in the first place. Has it become a lifeless routine for you? 
Is each Sunday just one more battle to dress your kids and get them in the car on time? Is it just an excuse, maybe, to see family and friends? If we are honest with ourselves, we often come here to Christian worship not thinking about God at all. And I know that this describes myself quite accurately. I can sit through a worship service and, not, and think about the paper, next paper I have to write or the next book I have to read or about the people around me and not think once about God. When you enter into this place, though, I encourage you to realize what an incredible gathering you are walking into. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Together, we are the people of God, his children, for whom he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. As Revelation shows us, what we do here on earth in this gathering is actually a foretaste, a sort of preview of what happens all the time in heaven where his angels worship him constantly. The point of worship is to bring our hearts and minds into this heavenly assembly that can do nothing but worship the Lord of holiness and glory. This is the God of peace whom Paul proclaims to us today, who sent his son to die for us and to bring us into peace with him. May our worship always be directed towards this God who deserves all of our attention, all of our wonder, and all of our love. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.